First Sunday of Advent, first Sunday of Christmas. It is a time when we change the decorations of the church and we do so for a purpose. We light candles for an Advent wreath. Coming up on the 24th day of December, Christmas Eve, we will have two services, one at five and one at seven. They will include carols. They will include candle lighting, singing, praying, reading scripture. This is what we do at Christmas. But we seldom really understand what's behind it all. That there is a beautiful story found in the Bible. It begins there in those opening chapters of the first book, the book of Genesis, which, by the way, means beginnings. And it flows all the way through every single one of the 66 books of Scripture that ends with the great proclamation and the closing words of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, or the Lord comes. A declaration or a prayer, that word Maranatha that closes out the book of Scripture tells us that indeed we can announce to the, the world that the Lord Jesus is coming and that we can pray and lift our arms to God and say, Lord, come. Come and fulfill what you started. The story of a relentless God who is pursuing each one of us. you got to keep in mind that in the very beginning there was beauty and holiness That's the way God intended it. He created all things out of nothing. He placed a man and woman, Adam and Eve, in that beautiful garden. They, in turn, made a choice that has affected the entire human race. But in the beginning, there was that beauty. There was that holiness. In the future, we can count on the fact that, once again, God is going to restore his creation. That what has been broken through sin... What has been broken through disobedience is going to eventually in the future from where we live today, whenever that is in God's timing, it's going to mean a restoration of everything God intended from the very beginning. So in the middle, in this parenthesis, if you will, in between, what's God doing? He's pursuing us. He's chasing after us. He is working to bring us back to where we belong. The question is, will we see the truth for what it is? Will we respond to God's pursuit of each one of us? God is pursuing us in some specific ways through covenants, to be precise. You've heard that word before. It is a Bible word, no doubt. It's not used too often in everyday language. Perhaps it is in some of the circles you run with, not in mine. But when I hear the word covenant, I immediately am drawn to something about God, that it's going to be something to do with with God and how he interacts with us as his creation. But many of us confuse covenant with another word that begins with a C, contract. God pursues you and me through covenants, not contracts. But most of our understanding comes from the idea in the business world and in everyday life 
that life has everything to do with the contracts that we make. And indeed it does. But there is a difference between a contract and a covenant. And God's pursuing of you and me is based upon the covenant. Let's talk about it for a moment. Let's talk about contracts. A contract can easily be defined as an agreement where each party seeks benefit from the other. That, that's, that's a good way to look at a contract. It is an agreement that I make with someone or you make with someone or we make together. And that contract seeks that each party involved expects to receive some benefit. They're going to pay something. They're going to have to, going to, have to give But they expect, the reason the contract is drawn up, the reason it's signed and sealed, delivered, however you want to look at it, and the reason sometimes contracts are broken is because that benefit that you desired as a result of the contract does not come through. If you have a mortgage, if you are living in a house that has a mortgage, what does that mean? It means really... The bank owns the house and you're paying the bank. And the bank does so with the intent of what? Making money. They're going to charge interest. You, on the other hand, or I, on the other hand, enter into that contract of a mortgage because I expect something in return. I expect direct access to the home that I'm financing with a contract with a mortgage company. That's a contract. Both parties involved expect to receive something in return, whether it's making money on the part of the lender or it is the opportunity to live in a beautiful home. A health club, for instance. Maybe you pay dues to a health club. That's a contract. You pay dues to a health club, and what do you expect? Well, you expect the gym to be open, You expect the weights to be uh, in good working order. You expect the treadmill to actually work. That's what you expect out of it. The health club, on the other hand, what do they see in it? Money. They clearly expect to take the dues that its customers pay and that after all the expenses are paid and they've lived up to their part of the agreement, they expect a return, a profit. That's a contract. Same thing with a car. I don't want to belabor the point, but we need to keep this in mind. A car is the same thing almost with a mortgage. You sign a contract to finance a car, and what do you do? You pay a monthly payment. What do you expect? You expect to be able to drive that car. The lender, on the other hand, expects you to take care of the car that they actually own because they hold the title. And they expect, when all is said and done, for you not only to cover the cost of the automobile, but for them to receive a profit to make money. Folks, this is the world in which we live. Contracts, agreements, both parties involved or all of the parties involved. Sometimes it's more than just one on either side of the agreement. All of those involved in a contract expect to receive a benefit. That's a contract. Covenant. A covenant is completely different. 
may sound the same, may both start with the same letter and actually end with the same letter. But a covenant is initiated by God. God does the initiating of a covenant. When I took a loan out on a house, I pursued that mortgage company. I searched far and wide for the one I wanted to provide me that benefit of giving me a mortgage, of owning a house so that I could pay it off and then it becoming mine someday. I initiated it in a covenant. It's the other way around. It's God who initiates the agreement, if you want to look at it that way, the understanding, the covenant. It's for his glory and it is for our good. So in a sense, we could parallel and say, well, both parties expect to receive something. Okay, but in a covenant, it's God who initiates it from the beginning. And God, what does he receive out of it? He receives the satisfaction and the glory and the praise and the honor that is due him. And he does so and initiates the covenant, this agreement for our ultimate good. That's the difference between a contract and a covenant. And Christmas is all about the covenant. Now, in this in-between period where God is pursuing us, you remember I said in the beginning there was completeness and beauty. At the end, it's going to be restored to its original intent. God's beautiful creation. In the meantime, here we are in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of, of a world that is desperate, it seems, for some type of meaning. And God is pursuing us in this interim period, in this in-between time. And he does so through a covenant. And he's done it over and over again. And there are some classic examples of covenant in Scripture. I want to mention two of them to you this morning. First one's an easy one. It's the covenant that God made with Noah. Now, we're referring all the way back to Genesis chapters 8 and 9. But what God did with Noah was a covenant. What did God do? God saw that the world was heading down a dead-end road, that it was not going to turn around. There was no one righteous, the Scripture says, save one family, Noah and his immediate family, just a handful of people. And so God pronounced a covenant with Noah that God was going to provide a, a means of escape for Noah and his family, the building of that ark, and that God was going to destroy the world that he created, but he was going to begin it again, and he sent that flood. But if you read Genesis chapters 8 and 9, which we're just summarizing this morning, the covenant aspect of it is God made a promise to Noah that he would never destroy his creation again by flood, by water. That Noah's family was spared. And the promise of continuing on, of beginning again, hitting a reset button, if you will. It was God's promise, God's covenant with Noah. God seeking Noah. And the benefit was a restored, a renewed, or a a beginning again for a creation that had been spinning out of control. 
And for Noah, it was an opportunity to begin again. That's a covenant. Wasn't a contract. It wasn't a, if you do this, then I will do that. Sometimes that's the way it is in passages of Scripture. Sometimes that's the way God deals with us. But when he initiates a covenant, he does so for our ultimate good. Second covenant. It's the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, folks, this is one of the most complex, puzzling, hard-to-understand passages of Scripture, I think, is in the entire Bible. But if we can grasp and put ourselves back in this day in which Abram lived, and if we can see things through his eyes, it makes all the sense in the world. It is easy to understand. It is an opportunity for us to just simply look up into the heavens and say, wow, God is good. It's all wrapped around the covenant, the promise that God made to a man named Abram. Let me fill you in on the backstory here quickly because we're going to jump in in the 15th chapter, which is at the very end, at the very uh, uh, the climax of the entire story, the entire event. God chose a man named Abram, and he blessed his life. And he commanded him that in following the Lord, he would have to leave his homeland, a place called Ur, you are. And Abram did just that. His name is changed from Abram to Abraham a little bit later in Scripture. But at this point in the story, he's known by Abram, A-B-R-A-M. So Abram picks up, takes his family, all of his possessions, and he goes to this land of promise, if we can call it that. And all along, God is leading Abram. He's not giving him the whole picture. He's leading him. He is directing his steps. And Abram is following God. But there's this issue that Abram has, along with his wife, Sarah. They have no child. They have no heir. They have no children. It's hard sometimes to separate the the scriptural background from an issue like this with the pain and anguish that people go through today in trying to raise families. But in that day and time, it was even more crucial because of the desire to have an heir, a desire to carry on one's family. And God made a promise to Abram. In that 15th chapter of Genesis, God promised Abram and said, because you have followed me, I am going to bless you. And Abram asked a legitimate question. He said, Lord, you know the real desire of my heart. You know what motivates me. And I'm not questioning you. But as I'm growing older in age and as I'm seeing the end of my life just over the horizon, I just need to know your promise. And it's there we pick up in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Listen to God's word. God took him outside and he said, 
Now, Abram, look up toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and it reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, Lord, God, how may I know that I will possess it? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. Okay, let's just go ahead and say it. This is a strange way to make a deal. What's happened here? Strange way to do something miraculous and amazing. Well, no, we, we read back and we see that God has this encounter with Abram, tells him that his descendants will what? Actually number the stars. And here's Abram looking at it that he has no descendants whatsoever. And so he asks that follow-up question once again. How will I know? How can I count on? Lord, can you give me a sign? And here comes this unusual practice of the making of a covenant. Got to realize it's not our day. It's not our way of doing things. But it was the way back in this day and time. As a matter of fact, when it says in Scripture that God made a covenant, literally it's God cut a covenant. That word made, you can always insert the word cut. God cut a covenant with Abraham. Remember, it's God initiating a covenant, not man. So in response to Abram's angst about the promise that God had just given him, He said, what's a sign? Can you give me anything? And God cut a covenant with Abram. He took the three largest animals that are listed here. Most would say he didn't cut the turtle dove or the young pigeon simply because of their size. But he took the heifer, he took the female goat and the ram, all three years old, the approximate age of when animals were sacrificed and any pagan as well as a sacrifice to God, slaughtered them, cut their carcasses in half, and then spread the pieces laying opposite one another. The split ram, the split heifer, split animals, split down the middle, pieces on either side forming a pathway. The logical thing would be for the two parties that were entering and cutting this covenant to walk between, walk the path in between the pieces of these animals that have been slaughtered. Some would say that there is evidence that in doing so, you were symbolically saying, if I were to ever Go against what I have promised and cut in this covenant. If I were ever to turn away from what I have promised, then so shall I be as these split carcasses before me. 
This is serious business. I mean, this is it's hard. That's what it takes. Is this what God intends? Chapter 15, verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Skip to verse 17. It came about that when the sun had set and it was very dark, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, cut a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. Now let's come back here. Let's, let's figure this out. God takes Abram out. Look at the stars. That's the number of your descendants. Lord, how can this be? Is there some promise you can give me? God said, I will cut a covenant with you. Bring me the animals for sacrifice. Abraham followed. Abraham prepared it knowing what to do. He split these animals in two opposite each other, forming a path, fully expecting that he and God would walk through this path. That they would pronounce that if they were to ever break this covenant, that so the same thing would be with them, utter destruction. Strange way to get one's point across. But then it says this deep sleep came over Abram. And Abram had a vision. We won't read the verses in between, but basically what God said there in those intervening verses was, Abram, there's going to be some trouble in your life. There's going to be some times when you're going to look up and lose heart. There's going to be some tragedy. Your, your descendants that are going to number the stars are going to be enslaved for 400 years to a place called Egypt. But in the meantime, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to bring you through. And then you notice that when the moment came, when these two were to walk this path between these cut animals to signify the cutting of this covenant, the seriousness of this agreement. But Abram fell into a deep sleep, a God-given deep sleep. And the smoking oven and the flaming torch, you can find it on a number of occasions that this is a symbol of God's presence. If it's a burning bush in Exodus chapter 4, it's with Moses. If it's in Acts 2 with the day of Pentecost, it's flaming tongues of fire with the Holy Spirit. The fire, the smoke, it always represents the presence of Almighty God. And Almighty God walked through the carcasses of these animals for both of them. Do you hear me? This was a covenant, a serious covenant initiated by God. And Abram fully expected to have to gear up and man up and walk this trail, this path of blood between these animals signifying that if he were ever to turn away, so would the same thing be done to him. But God signed it for both of them. 
God walked the path of blood. And he signed it on God's behalf, his own behalf. And he signed it on behalf of Abram as well. You see what that means? That God pursuing us, initiating this agreement, this covenant, he did it all. He signed it for Abram and you and me. He did it all. That's a far cry from Luke chapter 2, I know. Angels, wise men, a star, a beautiful scene. But at the very root of it all is a God who truly pursued us relentlessly. And when the real price was put before us, not a contract that both parties have to sign and live up to, but God saying, I have paid it all. Felisa Jarvis is a member of our church. Felisa's a great lady. Maybe you know her, maybe you don't. Felisa came home a few weeks ago and found that after she had visited with her family, there was a water leak in her house, and her house flooded. It's under repair right now. And Marcy came to me the day she heard of it, and she goes, Stephen, this is not good. They've got her house all torn up. Fans are blowing, trying to blow things out. we got the whole upstairs of our house. Let's have Felisa come and stay with us. I said, that's great. So we invited her over. I issued her a key. I told her she had to keep the thermostat at such and such a level. (laughs) We told her to make herself at home. But did we really mean that? I mean, if I came home and heard the bus saws upstairs and she was remodeling the upstairs, you know, might have had second thoughts. But I could tell... Obviously so. She's not going to feel comfortable. She's not going to be at home till she's home at 1433 Summer Wind Drive here in Louisville. But as much as we want her to have the run of the upstairs, which we mean, we know good and well, she's never going to feel right till she's in her place. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. And it's almost as though, folks, as we live in this life and we're constantly aware of the fact that this isn't ours and it's all, all along God is trying to tell us, yes, it is. I made a promise to you long ago through a man named Abram. I walked the trail of blood. I did it for you. This is your promise. This is for you. And you may not understand it all right now, but you need to live your life as though you believe the promise that I provided all of this for you. And it's yours for the taking. You can be fulfilled. You can have that stability just like Abram did centuries ago. That's what God wants for us. 
Well, we live so much of our lives as though we're tippy-toeing around a God who's got it out for us? No. A God who pursues us relentlessly and paid it all. The gift of Christmas is based upon who God is, not who we are. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, take take our lack of faith and build us up. Teach us to depend upon you. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to feel at home with you. Father, this season of the year is too distracting as it is. So in these moments, give us the perspective that we need to look to you and help us do that right now. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Here's how we wrap up worship services. We offer invitations, a call to obey, a an opportunity to respond. God speaks, we respond. That's the way it's always been. So for us to just say, have a nice week, we'd be cutting short what God wants to do in our lives. So we're going to say, make a choice. Make it now. Sometimes it's a choice that needs to be in front of the world. It needs to be public. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, we ask you to do that today. You need help in understanding how to make that choice. We have ministers and deacons here to help. Come forward. If you're here today and you need a church to belong to, a place to call your own, here we are. Only church around here? Absolutely not. The key is finding where God wants you to plant your life and then serving. Not just a place where you can feel comfortable. I'm sorry. Not just a place where you'll always be fulfilled and Things will be done the way you want them. That's not the way it works. It's a family. You know how families are. But we do promise that we walk together. We serve together. And we have faith together. So how do you join a church if that's what you want to do? A church like ours, you come forward. That's the first step. Then we encourage one another and we move forward as God leads. And then maybe you're a lot like me I I would think I'd learn by this time in my life that so much of the time I just kind of walk around through life wondering does God really care is his promise really true Lord can you give me a sign I don't think I need the one he gave Abram then again maybe I need something that graphic maybe I need something that hard for me to understand and know that it was all God and all done for us, for me. So however that changes the way you look at things, read scripture, treat others, let it speak to you. Let it guide your steps, whatever that means.
That's our invitation. I ask you to stand as we sing, we wait as you respond.